0: Praise the Lord. Let's honor the Lord. Um, Let's really honor the Lord. (laughs) I hope you didn't come here to see me. Jesus is the reason, right? Jesus is the reason. Um, I'll just share some, just some, Quick information about who I am. I'm gonna walk around a lot. I don't know if you're filming or not, but you're gonna have a hard time. Um, I, I'm uh, from Colombia, uh, the nation of Colombia. I fit the typical narco stereotype of Colombia. Uh, I was a drug trafficker for a long time, uh, trafficking drugs from Colombia to the United States. In the early stages, I would swallow a kilo of heroin, uh, 72 bags of, of heroin into my mouth. I would. trained myself to eat a meal, uh, drink sodas, drink whatever was in front of me, hold it the entire time that we're flying from uh, Cali, Colombia to JFK, go through the airport, go through customs, not looking nervous or scared to send any uh, warning flags, go through customs, go into a taxi cab, go to a hotel, pass it out of my body, clean it up, put it in a bag, and I would make $15,000 for every time I was able to do this unfortunately i was really good at what i was doing and so i did that for quite a few years and the years caught up to me and um, i finally realized this was supposed to be a short term thing to gain wealth and get out it was a money scheme in my mo- in my mind but you know the enemy has come to steal kill and destroy right that's what john 10:10 tells us and so the enemy works this way if i can steal your identity from you as the individual then i can kill the purposes that god has for you and then i can also destroy the legacy and the inheritance in every single year, generation of your bloodline the enemy isn't looking out just to destroy you he's looking out to destroy every single individual that's associated with you in Job, when when god reels uh uh, the enemy in, in, to God, he says, uh, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm looking to and fro, looking for someone to devour. And he says, have you uh, considered my servant Job? That word considered in the Greek is actually a military term meaning, have you done reconnaissance on him? Have you studied the cracks, the flaws? The, uh, I guess I'll step back here because I'm blocking people. Have you studied the weaknesses of Job's life? And if you have, then you'll probably know there's no weakness on him. And so, like, the enemy says, well, well like, well, that's because you have a hedge of protection. Lift it, and he'll curse you. And that's what we see in the story. That story there is to, to remind us that the enemy is making reconnaissance on you on a daily basis, looking for the areas of your weakness to attack you. In Alaska, Eskimos go hunting this way during the wintertime where it gets extremely cold, and you can't spend hours and hours outside because polar bears actually are bears that actually travel and they come look for you, right? They're they're the only bear that goes hunting for flesh. And so the Eskimo won't go out into the wintertime to look for, uh, to go hunt in a a tree stand for you hunters, right? It just doesn't happen that way. What they'll do is they'll take a double-edged knife and they'll take a rag and dip that rag in the blood of an animal and wrap it around the double-edged blade bury it somewhere, and the Alaskan wolf will smell the blood, will come and begin to lick the rag, wondering what it is. It licks it so much that it actually becomes, slices its own tongue and begins to taste the warm blood of its own self. And when it tastes the warm blood, it takes deeper and deeper licks of this blade Until it realizes that it's actually losing blood, uh, so much blood, that its own body temperature is dropping. And by that time, he's actually killed himself. This is exactly what the enemy does to us today. I'll give you the desires of your heart, the fleshly desires of your heart. I'll give it to you so that it can completely destroy who you are because I'm not after just you. I'm after your entire family and your entire bloodline. But here's the beauty of Jesus Christ. I grew up in a house where my dad was a, a witch doctor. In Spanish terms, it's called Santeria. And so in, when I turned 15 years old, my dad gave his life to Jesus, had an encounter with God, and then brought my mother to church the following week. She had an encounter with God. And then my father brought his sisters to church. They had an encounter with God. Their husbands later had an encounter with God. And in one year's time... My family line that were once worshiping the devil were now worshiping God. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Now, us as, as, as their children, we were confused because we were like, last week you're worshiping the devil. This week you're worshiping God. And, and, you're, and they were full-blown Pentecostal, right? They were real crazy, charismatic. And I was like, you guys are nuts. I, there's nothing. Like, I'm not really following anything. and. And it took 15 years later when the enemy had me in a place where I was $7 million in debt to drug dealers in Colombia. And if you've ever seen the narco series, right? it's, it's, it's real. Like the, the murder at the time. Colombia is not like that today. I just, just want to point that out. I'm trying to make a better <laughs> representation of Colombia, right? Because <laughs> I'm always like, man, I fit the stereotypical uh, 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 storyline. And so uh, I I literally was in debt, and I cried out to God. I was living in Santa Ana, California. I cried out to God, God, I'm I'm in a mess. My father has told me that if I would call upon the Lord, that he would answer me. And so I called upon the Lord that night, and the Lord encountered me, and I said to him, God, if you get me out of this mess, I will give you my life. How many have prayed that dangerous prayer? It's probably the most dangerous prayer you can pray. I, I don't advise it, right? And so I prayed that crazy prayer, like, God, if you, if you get me out of this jam... I'll give you my life. I'll surrender my entire life to you. And sure enough, the Lord in the next six months or so delivered me out of the jam that I was in. And I kind of just walked away, ignored the, the commitment I made to God. And then the Lord sent a man from Los Angeles who had a dream about me saying, I had a dream about you that you were with the Lord and there was something that you needed to do. And I said, yeah, I need to give my life back to Jesus. And he said, well, let's go to church. And I went to that church that night, had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and I gave my life to the Lord. And so when I came out in my first year of Christianity, my pastor, who was uh, an amazing pastor, Albert Vedas. uh... He didn't He didn't really, he looked at church in this way. He said, listen, Lenny, uh, Greg Laurie is teaching in Anaheim. I want you to sit up there on Monday nights. And on Tuesdays, Jack Hayford has a Bible study uh, down at his church. I want you to go there. And on Thursdays, Chuck Smith is doing a Bible study up in Costa Mesa. So I want you to go over there. And on Friday, there's revival meetings at this one church. I want you to sit there. And I basically went to church uh, almost seven days a week. I had an encounter with God and God became real with me it wasn't something that I was taught through through logic or through reason I had a supernatural encounter with Jesus I broke a 14-year heroin addiction in one encounter with God Amen. I- I'm gonna say that again I know you guys are real <laughs> quiet here right <laughs> but I broke a 14-year drug addiction with one encounter with God that's the power of Jesus Christ that he can transform your life 30 seconds of the Holy Spirit is better than 30 seconds of therapy 30 years of therapy can't compare to 30 seconds in the presence of God If we have encounter after encounter with God, we'll begin to walk into greater glory, greater strength, greater revelation, greater understanding and realize this one particular thing about the cross of Jesus Christ. It wasn't about you and it's never been about you. It's about the community of people who are dying in this world who don't know Jesus Christ. He brought you into the kingdom so that you would have a testimony and that testimony and the power of his testimony is what draws people to him. We only have to give the testimony. It's the reason why I'm giving you the testimony now is to build hope in your heart to say if God can touch that man then surely he can touch me. If God can touch an individual who's selling drugs and trafficking drugs, who comes from a family line of demonic powers and demonic beings, if God can use that individual, surely he can touch me and transform my entire generational line. I'm a man of faith because I came into a power encounter with faith. And so I knew that this gospel was real. And so I had an encounter with God. I went on a missionary trip three months into my a walk, and I suggest you do this too, Pastor. As soon as people get saved, throw them on the mission field. Amen. Throw them on the mission field. Amen. Mark their hearts with missions. Let them see the real church at work. Don't wait for four years, five years. Don't go go. Just put them on the mission field right away. I went on the mission field. I got touched by the Lord. I had an encounter with God on the mission field. I came back three months into the, my walk with God didn't even know what John three sixteen was, had no prayer life, had no devotional life, but I knew that God was real and I knew that his word was real and I knew that the little bit of Bible that I did know was way more than the world had ever heard. So I started preaching on the corners every single Saturday. I would straddle a concrete garbage can with one leg on each side, and I would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the community around me and preaching that God was the only thing that was going to save them. And in that process, I met a man that was trying to reach young kids who were going into heading towards gang life, and we started a ministry called God's Gang. And the idea was to grab kids before they entered into gangs before they got to that accountability of age of saying, this is what I want to do. There had been generation after generation of generation of people going into the gangs. And we said, the only way we can stop this is by reaching children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we started a ministry and we started ministering to these young people. And slowly over time, we began to see the tide turn where young people weren't joining the gang any longer. They were starting to see that there was more than just the gang life. And that prison wasn't the goal. The goal was to come out of the community or transform the community with inside itself. That was the new goal. And the goal became a lifestyle for them to say, listen, we're all in. That's why I love about gangbangers, because when they come to Jesus Christ, it's not a tottering of one leg in the world and one leg in church. They go all in. It's all or nothing. And those types of people, you can begin to move entire cities and you can move nations with an entire generation of people who are committed to go all in. I wonder if there's anybody here willing to go all in today. I wonder if there's someone in this place that says I want to go all in for my community, for my for my city, for my nation to go all in. So, what does it take to go all in? And I I I I I, I was called by the Lord to move to Connecticut. And I moved to Connecticut, and I was living there, and the Lord called me to move into this house on this street, which was known for KSI, which is a a, a strong uh, blood gang uh, in that in my city, New Haven. They had. Lots of racketeering, drug trafficking, gun trafficking, prostitution. And so they. I just felt from the Lord to move into that community. And so I moved into that community with my wife at the time and seven other Yale University students. We rented out a two-family house, and we decided we were going to move into this home together and begin to do church together and life together. And so every Tuesday, we said the principal pillar of living in community, needed to be presence of the Lord. So every Tuesday night, we would set up prayer on our porch of our house. We would do prayer from 7 o'clock at night to 9 o'clock at night. And we did this out in the open, crying out to God for revival, crying out to God for him to move among the community, crying out for the drug dealers to get an encounter with Jesus Christ. And over a month period of time, what ended up happening was the drug dealers stopped selling drugs between seven o'clock and nine o'clock every Tuesday night because they were honoring what we were doing in their community. And when I saw that, I said, we need to take it up another notch. We need to do something in the place of mission. We can no longer hide behind the place of intercession. We have to become the very prayer that we are praying. How many of you guys know that there's someone somewhere praying that their son or daughter would be touched? And you're the answer to that prayer that God wants to use you to touch their son and daughter. And so we began to pray. He says, now we're going to reach out to kids. And we started a a children's ministry in the community the year before. And as we started praying for children, we started a children's program. And that children's program started out with 30-something kids in that community, and it grew to 60. Then we started a, a, a youth group with the kids that were too old to join the uh, children's church. So we started a youth group. And the way we started the youth group was that most of them were all Puerto Ricans. So I decided, let's start a softball league. And we'll call up different churches that I'm affiliated to and I say make up a team and I'm going to drive down to you because I needed to get these kids out of their surrounding into a new surrounding so that they can begin to so the world is way bigger than their two-block community. So I started calling different churches I was affiliated. Do you guys have a softball team? They said no. We'll put one together. We're going to challenge you. And I made a makeshift softball church league. Just for these youth, and every Saturday after children's church, I would travel two to three hours just to play a doubleheader. And on the way there, we would play the, uh, the the Bible audio Bible in the van all the way there, and then we listened to Christian rap all the way back. And by the time we'd get home, the kids would ask me questions about Jesus, and over softball, they ended up all getting saved. And that's how I built my youth group. And then I started looking out for the young adults. What do I do for the young adults? So I started gathering young adults and started doing life coach classes with young adults. So I started taking the drug dealers and beginning to point to them businesses that were feasible and, and there were actually legal businesses to do. And I started pointing them and connecting them to other businessmen that were Christian businessmen, saying, Take this young man under your wing, mentor him, disciple him, bring him into the, your family. And they would get nervous because usually they were older white guys, right? And they would get really nervous because here was an African American kid who was in the bloods who wore red and black all the time and carried a gun in his waistband and everyone knew he was a drug dealer. And I said, the only way he's going to come out of that lifestyle, if you use the gift that God has given him, which is entrepreneur and salesman. (laughs) It's a gift. The gifts are irrevocable. God pours out his gifts when he made you and designed you and created you. He put the gift already there. It just needs to be awakened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we put them in these types of arenas, they become awakened and stirred and realizing there is a way to make money that is legal, that doesn't cause me to go to jail, doesn't cause me to be on the front lines of dying, and I can come out of this lifestyle and actually do something with my family. You know, the reality of the poverty that happens in our community is because most people are afraid to get married in my community because they know if once they get married, the, the Section 8 and the housing and the money cuts off. And so everyone says that they're married, but no one's really married. So one day we actually had to take out my wife's wedding dress and our photo albums and we put up a screen. And we showed them the videography of our marriage ceremony. And all these young kids began to realize, you actually are married. Like, yeah, we had a real wedding, a real banquet. We invited friends and family. This is what marriage looks like. This is the design of how the kingdom is. We have to start transforming children's minds to begin to think that family is good and that sex was created only in the boundaries of marriage. We have a saying in our church, we keep everything rated H. Rated H. H is for holiness. So when someone starts saying something a little sideways, like, oh, 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 rated H. We're in the church, rated H. And so the kids are also learning this right real quickly at age four, five, and six. They're learning this language, rated H. I I, I don't even want to speak this type of way around Pastor Lenny or the other church, church people. It's all retraining, reformatting things in their minds it's what happens when we come to Christ when people say to me you've been brainwashed and I say absolutely I've been brainwashed my mind has been renewed by the word of God everything that I thought of myself has been renewed by who he is by an encounter with Jesus Christ so how do we get there we open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 2 you probably didn't think I was going to preach today (laughs) open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2 I'm going to read just a few verses, verses 13 down to 15, down to 17. This is Jesus on his way doing ministry away from Jerusalem on the outskirts of Galilee. Bible says that Mark chapter 2, verse 13, he went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call the righteous, not but the sinners, right? I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Father, we just thank you for your word today. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I want to just drop five points on you on what it looks like to live a Christ-like life that creates discipleship, that creates discipleship. We use in this language today uh, uh, spiritual sons, spiritual daughters. I started thinking about this language, and sometimes I have a problem with it because the reality is this. I have a son of my own. Who's I have two sons. uh, John Daniel is one. He's five years old. My other son is uh, David. We call him King David. Together, we call them the sons of thunder because they're thunder. They are really uh, uh, eccentric, and they're really extroverts, and they're alpha males, and they're leaders, you know. Uh, my, my son will walk up in the middle of me preaching, saying, Dad, I got something to say. And I, I, you know, what do I do? I got to honor my son in a sense like I want to encourage him to be a leader, you know. And uh, he'll, he'll actually out-preach me at times. And so uh, my kids are just that way. And they're, they're not afraid because they've been walking with me. But I knew this one thing that would bother me a lot. I said, man, if my son ever turned to some other pastor and said, that's my spiritual father, then I failed as a father. So how do we create sons and daughters in the church? We create them by looking for disciples, those that are outside, who are fatherless. Because Jesus says that he's the father to the fatherless. And so if we look for individuals within our fields, I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of tidbits here of information. Whatever your career is, there's someone looking to get into your career. That's what we call discipleship. If I would grab hold of an individual who is on the edge, a young adult, a youth who's saying, I want to break into the medical field. That's the individual I pull into around me and I make myself available. That's what Jesus was doing here. The Bible says that as he went out again beside the sea, all the crowd was coming to him and he began to teach them. Here's the number one way to reach people. You have to make yourself available. If you're not making yourself available to people, then there's no way that you can actually disciple or shape a culture or shape a generation. It's about availability. Do you, in your own self, make space and time to make yourself available to others? That's a rhythm of life that you should incorporate as a Christian. Am I making space to be available for other people? So for myself, every single Thursday, I leave my calendar completely open. I don't set up any meetings. I don't set up any study time. I don't set up anything. I just make myself available. And so I go back into the communities that I'm working with, and I just start walking the communities and let the community come to me and say, hey, Pastor Leigh, we have a problem here. What's the problem? And I say, okay, I'm going to go to the mayor, or I'm going to go to the city councilman. I'm going to bring you to this person and we're going to try to fix this for you I walk within my community listen church this is something I learned from Mark Batterson who the circle maker I don't know if you ever read the book he basically said this this is the biggest challenge for me he said if your church would close down would people in a one mile radius be affected by the fact that your church closed down would people in this community be affected if this church closed down so that means that this is the community the Lord's called you to, to plant here. So are you affecting the restaurants? Are you affecting the businesses? Are you affecting the, the, just the, the, the flow of traffic? Are you honoring the leaders in the place? Are you making bridges to corporate world? Are you making bridges to the governmental world? Are you making bridges to people in the public school system? Because once you get your voices into those places, then you can begin to turn the tide of a city. Our city was number three as the worst, uh, most violent cities demographically. We were number three on the FBI list as one of the the top three worst cities to live in in America. In a five-year window of time, we've got that number to go down to 45. I made myself available. Just in the same way you must make yourself available to create disciples. If you don't make yourself available, there's no opportunity for you to train and teach people. And how does Jesus does it? He makes himself available. But what else is he does? He's aware. It says, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. So... Jesus has his crowds of people walking around them, and he's teaching them. And as he's walking and teaching, he has the awareness to see that there's Alpha, there's Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he realizes that there's something on him. There's leadership on his life. He sees it because he's aware of it. How many of us are being Open to the place of being aware of our surroundings, aware of the people that we're meeting, aware of the things that we're talking about, aware of the things that we're hearing. 99% of the opportunities I get is because I'm sitting at a coffee shop. Somebody says something, and I said, hey, I know somebody that could help you, and they look at me like, why would you help us? And I'm like, I'm a pastor of the city, and I want to see you do well in the city. Because if you're doing well in the city, then the city's doing well. As long as it's not illegal things, substance abuse things, if you're doing well and you're doing right by the city, then I want your business to flourish. And so I, I help them. I make myself aware of my surroundings. I go to, go to my community when I was there. I walked up to a bunch of kids that were sitting on the stoop, and I asked them, who is the leader of this gang? And this 15-year-old kid stood up and said, I am. And I said, hey, I want to ask you if I can do a children's ministry in the backyard two hours from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock. And after that, I'll be gone. And he said, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, you're asking me permission to do a children's ministry in the backyard? I said, yeah. He goes, you know what? He was a real mouthy kid. He goes, you know what? I'll give you 45 minutes. And I said, I'll take 45 minutes. 45 minutes is, if I can get the gospel in 45 minutes every single Saturday, then I'll do that. And so as I was walking away, this other guy stands up. and He goes, he's not the gang. He's not the head of this gang. I am. And I looked at him, I said, so what do you say then? He said, I'll give you two hours and no more. So every single Saturday, I made myself available to children who had no parents, Who had no fathers they were a fatherless generation and I made myself available every Saturday from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock but I was aware of who really controlled that neighborhood it wasn't the police it was this one guy who was the head of KSI gangs and honored him He said, you're giving me honor. Why would you come here? I said, I just want to honor the authority that you have in this community. He says, you want to honor me? I'm a gangbanger. And I said, that's the only way I know that's a key to get into it. And he goes, that's a lesson I just learned. Honor is a a key. Yeah, it's a key to authority. And he said, I never heard that before. And I said, it's a Bible principle. He says, you're using Bible principles on me? I said, that's exactly what I'm doing. That's why you gave me two hours on a Saturday every single Saturday. And so he opened up his door to me to begin to do ministry. And as I began to do ministry, I made myself aware of who the other people were. And I started connecting children to their moms. Okay, this guy is related to Miss Jackie. And Miss Jackie has a lot of voice in the community. So how do I keep Miss Jackie happy? I give her first dibs on everything that comes, that's given to us, donated to us. I give her first dibs. Miss Jackie, we're having an outreach. We got uh, World uh, uh, Missions is coming in. They're bringing a truckload of materials. We're going to give it out to the entire community. We're not a church. We're a house of people living in a house who are giving out truckloads of brand new material from our back patio as people walk in the front gate, collect things, and then go out our back fence. There was a hole in our fence that someone cut out. Because there was a way that the drug dealers could run from the parking lot through my property, out another side property, and get away from the police officers. So when I moved there, I made the hole even bigger. So it would be safer for the drug dealers to run through my property. And then I put uh, uh, rocks, white gravel rocks for them so they wouldn't slip in the wintertime. And the police officer says, you're helping them. And I said, no, I'm embracing them. They're part of my community. They're doing what they're doing because they're sick. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. And I said, you know what? If I really, me and you start talking together one-on-one, you're probably sick too. And so that same officer started talking to me. He's like, I'm not sick. I'm good. And I said, everything's good. Here's an evangelistic tool when I ask people to pray on the streets. I said, can I pray for you? And they say, no, I'm good. And I said, is your marriage good? Is your family good? Is your job good? your finances good? Is your health good? I don't give them options. (laughs) And this guy goes, well, my marriage isn't doing too well. What's wrong with your marriage? He says, my wife is having a hard time with me with the new shift hours and everything else like that. And I said, I'll give you free marriage counseling. He goes, you'll give me free marriage counseling. Yeah, come to my house, and I'll give you free marriage counseling. And he goes, I'll take you up on that offer. And as I'm walking away, my wife goes, you know nothing about marriage counseling. (laughs) I said, I know that. But there's a DVD out there somewhere that we can buy. It's about making yourself available and aware of what's around you. I've been doing marriage counseling for so long, I actually did this. I went to the public library, asked them for free space at the public library. They said, are you a resident of the city? Yes, I am. They gave me free space. What do you want to do? I want to do a marriage seminar in this library. Is it Christian-based? No, it, it's, it's, yeah, it is, but it's not out open. I'm not going to say Jesus, God, or anything else like that. I'm just going to give marriage uh, principles to them that come from the Bible. So are you going to share from the Bible? No, I won't share from the Bible. I'll share from a, a, a little notepad or something else like that. So she says, okay, this sounds good to me. We made up a bunch of flyers, and we posted them all out through the entire city. And I just waited that Saturday. I had, like, I I put free breakfast. Basically, it was like, you know, Dunkin' Donut bagels and donuts, basically what it was, and a box of Joe. Seven married couples came walking in. He said, this is the marriage seminar? This is the marriage seminar. So what's what's the hook? The guy goes, what's the hook? There's got to be a hook. Why is it free? I said, I I figure this. If you become a better parent... Then that's one less kid that's running the streets, getting into gangs, getting into violence, and slowly my city will begin to turn around. That's the hook. No, no, there's got to be a hook. I said, no, there's no hook. And I said, I'm just trying to do this because I want you to be a better parent so I don't have to worry about going seeing your kid in prison someday. So, like, that's the hook. That's the hook. And he's like, no, there's got to be more. And I said, no, there really isn't. So I start teaching the class, start teaching the class, start teaching the class. And we're and working. We're doing some confrontational stuff. And he starts tearing up. And I said, what's going on? He goes, I'm just feeling something that i never felt before. And I said, explain that. And he says, I'm, I'm realizing that the way I've been handling myself has been wrong all these years. And he starts asking for forgiveness to his wife. And this is happening live. Like, these guys are not Christians or anything else like that. He starts asking his wife for forgiveness. And as he asks his wife for forgiveness, he can barely get the words out. And he starts crumpling over, weeping and crying. And the other guy that was next to him started crying. I'm like, why is that guy crying? Right? And he starts looking at his wife. And he says, I need to ask, confess some things to you too. And he starts confessing things. And I'm doing immediate conflict resolution with all these married couples. And four out of the seven of them became part of my church. I made myself available. Listen, you guys are 100 times smarter than I am, 100 times smarter than I am. God has gifted this. I I told Jason this. I've never been in a place where I felt the spirit of creativity so strong. There's a level, there's a spirit of creativity in this house that you guys have not tapped into, and once you do, the lid of this church is going to blow up. The lid of this church is going to blow up. So what's the other thing? As Jesus sees them, he says to them, Follow me. So, what is Jesus doing? He's accepting them where he is. He's not trying to change them. He's not saying, Go get saved and baptized and everything else. Jesus is just saying, I realize you're a tax collector. But come follow me, even though you're a tax collector. And we know the context of tax collectors because they worked with Rome and because they touched currency that was Roman currency and because they had an attitude or a spirit or a context of stealing money from the Jews and, and working this way. They had a bad connotation. But Jesus sees a tax collector. He says, Come follow me. There has to be a place of acceptance. We have to see people for who God really created them to be. So when I look at a gangbanger who's angry, I already know. I'm like, I already know. It's like, yeah, you got no dad. Your father's probably in prison. Your father probably walked away from you. Your mom is, doesn't have time to really take, take care of you. She's working two jobs. She's not really speaking into your life. She's trying to hold the house down. So you're kind of what we call a latchkey kid. You're trying to raise yourself. And now you feel anger and bitter by the entire thing. And that anger and bitterness is you're looking for a community. You're looking for a family. This is why kids join gangs. You know why CrossFit is exploding all over the world? It has nothing to do with people trying to get healthy. Nothing. They found a community. They found a place where people are accepting them where they are in their journey. They can't do a pull-up. They can't do a chin-up. They can't do a a single thing. But people are saying, we're going to modify this exercise for you so that you can do it. What are they doing? They're drawing them and accepting them for where they are. We need to be the same way as a church. That's what we were supposed to be doing from the get-go. We were supposed to accept everybody as they are to come into a community, into a family, to embrace them. And I know that's tough. I know that's stuff. It takes a season of doing this to get to that place. I have, I have, a, I have a, my next-door neighbor. Her name is Katie. She's a prostitute. The first time I asked her to come over to my house to have dinner, she, she looked at me and said, uh, Pastor Lenny, you know what I do for, for a profession? And I said, yeah, I know what you do for a profession. And she's like, you, you, want to have, you want me to come over your house to have dinner uh, with your wife and two kids? And I said, yeah, as long as you keep it rated H, I'm good, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like, like I, as long as you keep it rated H, Katie, I'm good. Like, you, you just need communities, what you're really lacking. You need someone to come around you and just speak words of affirmation into your being, into who you are. Katie comes over to my house, and there's times that she'll come to my house, and she's so so high that she'll take a, a, a whole stick of butter and wrap it in a, a bread and just eat it that way. She hasn't eaten in days. And I can tell when Katie's doing really bad because she's really, really thin. Finally, one day, she says to me, I'm going to get myself right. I'm going to get myself clean. Help me. And I called up a friend of mine, and I put her in a program. And she came out of that program. She had weight on her. She had a little belly. She was like, look, Pastor Lynn, I got a little belly, you know? And, and uh, I was excited for her, but... Unfortunately, Katie got hooked again and fell right back into that thing. She came to my house, and she was high again. That time, I said, come to my house, have dinner with me. She sat down in my house, and we started having dinner. And as we're having dinner, we stopped just before the meal. I said, Katie, we usually just pray before and thank God for the meal. So she didn't know what to do. My son grabbed her hand. He says, Katie, grab my hand. My son, who's five years old, said, Katie, my dad can't help you. Only Jesus can. And he grabbed her hand. And he said, uh, J.D. said, I'm going to pray for you, Katie, right now. And my son, who started this little simple prayer. God, we love you. We we want you to come touch Katie. Fire, God. Fire, God. Fire, God. (laughs) And I jumped out of my seat. I was. (laughs) But Katie went out in the spirit. Boom. And started convulsing. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) What just happened? And my son begins to put his hand, and my three-year-old, who barely speaks, is slapping her head, fire, fire, fire. And my wife's looking, we're going to go to jail. We're going to jail. And I said, no, this is all right. We we just have to accept this entire situation. Our children are learning how to be Christians. When When I had my son, I told my wife this one promise, that we wouldn't raise our church, our kids in church. We would raise them in the presence of God. So I started taking my kids even on mission trips that early on. My son is five. He's been on six different continents already, six different countries already, seeing and doing ministry, not me just preaching about it, but him watching us walk this thing out. So Katie finally gets off the floor. She's completely normal. She was completely high. Now she's straight, and my son starts telling her about the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm sitting there like, is this really happening? Like, how, how is this happening? Because he's learned to accept people. He knows, and he says, Katie's sick, Dad. She needs Jesus, and someone has to give her Jesus. And I need to tell her about the cross, God, uh, uh, to Katie, because that's the only thing that's going to help her is the cross of Jesus Christ. What is Levi does Levi he, he He rose... And he followed them. Jesus says, follow me. And he rose and he followed them. There has to be a place where you can create the abiding presence of God for other people. You know why I remember Jason out of all the YWAM teams that have come into my city? One part is that because when Jason's team was up in my city, unfortunately, one of the kids in my uh, neighborhood was shot and killed the same week. And he actually was murdered on the corner of my of my neighborhood was shot six times and died on the street like a dog. No one would help him as he laid on the street. And he died there. And I had this YWAM team in my house with a young kid and I told him, listen, the neighborhood is dangerous, but I, I, we had never actually had a team visit us and someone die in the same week that they were there. And so what I did was I, I took Jason, I said, listen, Jason, you're a worship leader. We need to, we need to saturate this environment with the presence of God so that this community heal in a way where it doesn't retaliate in violence. And so I took Jason to the team, the worship that he had on him, and I said, we're going to go down to the corner where this young man was killed. We're going to sit on the corner. We're going to break out the acoustic guitar. We're going to bring out the djembe drum, and we're all going to just start worshiping God on the street corner. And as we began to worship God people that were honoring the death of this young man started coming to the neighborhood and they started getting affected. And I remember one girl said, I can no longer take the presence that is here. It's too heavy for me. But you know what happened? That community, that mom called me the next day and said, Pastor Lenny, can you come to my house? And I said, yeah. And then the city department, police department, I was in Starbucks, pulled pulled into Starbucks, like DEA, ATF. FBI and the New Haven Police Department came running into the Starbucks that I was hanging out in and they said, are you Pastor Lenny? And I thought I was getting arrested for some old drug stuff that caught up to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally did one of these. Like, do I run? What do I do? And uh, I pulled out my, I, this is honest truth, I pulled up my phone real quickly and dialed my wife and just kind of held the phone here so my wife could hear the conversation and I always told my wife, if I get picked up, don't worry about it. I'll be in holding for 72 hours. Then I'll come to the, jur- the court, just pay my bail, you know. And, and my, w- my wife's like, you're too comfortable going to jail. I don't like that, right? And, and so as they come in, they tell me, yes. I said, yes, I am, Pastor Lenny. They said, we need you to come with us. And I'm like, where are we going? You know, I-, I need to know where we're going. Uh, we need you to meet someone. And I'm like, listen, I- this is how I got arrested one time. Some cop told me to come down. He asked me to have some questions for you. And when I got there, he just slid this card, And I looked down. You had the right to remain silent. And I was like, no, no, that happened to me one time. And it happened to me again. So I said, I need to know where we're going. He says, we're going into this other gang's neighborhood. And I said, why are we going there? Why do you need me? He says, everyone says you're the pastor of KSI. KSI is the gang in my neighborhood. And I said, I'm not the pastor of KSI. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not even a pastor, really. And they said, no, we need to take you over there because they say that they'll only talk to you first. And I was like, I don't even know who they are. And they said, so we need to take you over. So they took me over to this other neighborhood that was was a gang that was against our our community. And I go into that community, into a house. And in this house are these guys, really big guys, uh, standing there at the doorway. And they're like, hey, come on in. Pastor Lenny, come on in. And they look at the DA and say, you can't come in. ATF, you can't come in. FBI can't come in. But Pastor Lenny can come in. So I come in and I sit down. And they said, hey, we need to, we need to do something. And I said, what do we need to do? They said, we need to bring the levels of, of warfare down. We don't want anyone else to die. It was the wrong person that we shot. You shot the wrong person. The young man that was trying to get his life on track who's now dead. You're telling me you shot the wrong person. Yeah, we shot the wrong person. What do I do with information like that? as a pastor to my city, so I said, what do you want to do then? How do we resolve the situation? I said, someone needs to confess to the murder, and then we need to get, sit down with the other head of the other gang and sit down and do some conflict resolution so this doesn't escalate in more violence. Well, who's going to monitor? I'll monitor it. I'll bring another pastor. We have to bring the mayor. We have to bring the police department. That's just the only way it's going to work. And They said, okay, we're going to give you the name of the individual that did it, And we'll sit down with this meeting. And in two weeks time, we had these meetings that were going on for the entire summer. There wasn't another murder in our city. I didn't sign up for this when I became a pastor. They didn't tell me that in Bible college. That you were going to conflict resolution, gang violence, treaties. I just said yes to God in my heart. I say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. Wherever it is that you want to place me, I'll go. And I've learned this one thing, that the darker the places are, the brighter the light of Jesus shines. And so I said, yes, God, I want to I create abiding presence of God as the worship goes up, as we create a place where God's presence is real and tangible, and the world doesn't know it. They get drawn into this place of saying, there is something greater than me. It's the hope that we've been talking about. Here's my last point. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. It has to be a level of abandonment. You have to be willing to abandon your reputation. Listen, I get a lot of grief from a lot of pastors from my own city who are upset that I work with gangbangers, who are upset that I work with prostitutes, who are upset that I work with the, the poor. I I was at a at a mega church in my in my in my city, I was working on staff as a youth and young adult pastor, and they asked me one day, we want to bring in the inner city kids into the church. And I said, Pastor, with all due respect, our church isn't ready for that. He says, no, 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 we're an outreach church. I said, outreach is different. This is kind of in-reach now. we now. We're bringing people into the house. Churches are good going somewhere and feeding and doing things, but... When you ask an entire different culture and community of people to come into the church that don't know the rules and regulations of church, that we all know because we've been trained this way and they're new to this thing, it ruffles a lot of feathers. And like, what could possibly happen? I said, what happens when the senior pastor's daughter falls in love with a kid who's 15 years old and head of the gang? Are you ready for something like that? Uh, what, what happens when these gang kids, gang girls start messing with the youth boys and start bringing them into a place of sexual promiscuity because that's how they're already engrafted and are you ready for something like that? Because I'm not, I don't want to deal with that mess. And so he really looked, and we had to pray about it for a long time, and they really came to realization. And I was happy that they did, that they said, you know what, Lenny, you're right. We're not ready for that. But how do we prepare our church to get ready for the people who are sick to start coming into our church? So you start teaching discipleship. And if you start teaching discipleship and start telling people that, that Christ didn't die for just you, he came for the entire world, and we're just pieces on the chessboard that are being moved by the Holy Spirit to put the enemy at checkmate. That's what God is calling you today. More than anything else right now in this hour, we're living in pinnacle times. I'm going to tell you what's happened prophetically, all over the world right now, since of 2017, 2017, the face of Christianity has changed. It was a European, Western world, North America, Canada, Europe. That was the face of Christianity for a long time. But as of 2017, the major region of Christians that are living are in South America, Africa, and Asia. You are right now the face of the majority of the church. You right now are comprise the majority, what the face of, the, of Christianity looks like. You're it right now. You're stepping into a new season where the, the, the church, the Asian church, is being thrown on a new platform, not just globally, but in America itself. The leading voices are going to come out of South Americans, Africans, and Asians. And that means that the entire theology of the Western world is going to change. That's why Francis Chan's book is coming out now in this season. He could have wrote that book five years ago, but he wrote it now to start transferring the church to get ready to make your home a dwelling place of the Lord. To prepare you to say, I'm going to start incorporating one or two people. What's the the beauty of, of Jesus Christ is that he would love to sit down and have meals with people that were not part of the community. Jesus called Zachariah, Zachariah out of the tree and said, I want to come to your house and have a meal with you. Uh, he sees Levi and says, come follow me. I want, to have, I want to have a meal with you. Once we are able to sit down and invite people from outside our context of church, and invite the stranger into our home, once we get to that level of maturity, you'll begin to see church growth like I've never seen it before. My, my cousin goes to a church in, 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 in a Bogota, Colombia. Cesar Castellano's church. Cecil Castellano's the guy who created the G12 program. His church became 54,000-plus people and has grown every single year. What do they do? Someone comes into the church... They trained my cousin for two years, sitting under discipleship, vetted him hard, made him memorize scripture, rise, books of the Bible. After the two-year period was over, they checked his marriage, made him go through marriage counseling, made him go through marriage retreats. They, they saw how he was parenting his kid, made him go through uh, uh, retreats for parenting. For two years, he was under the strict uh guidelines of the church and after two years they said now you're ready to start a cell group now you have to find 12 people who don't know jesus and bring him into your house and start mentoring disciple them that's the only way you can advance in this community and if you don't do it we just kind of push you aside and look for someone else to invest in they've created a culture where people are hungry to get into leadership through jumping through a bunch of hoops but here's the reality like if we would just start walking with Jesus and Jesus would begin to walk with us as we begin to make ourselves available we make ourselves aware we make ourselves in the place of abiding we make ourselves in a place of accepting then we begin to see the people will start coming in because they know what you carry is good. It was a day in time where people would knock on my house early in the morning and ask me, is this the church? And it took me a long time to say yes, because we weren't a church. In my head, I kept on saying, we're not a church. We're not a church. We're a missional community. But finally, after a couple of years, I said, yes, this is the church. Do I know you? He says, no, I live in a community uh, on the other side of the city, but I'm looking for help. What kind of help? I'm looking for, kid, for, for somebody to teach our kids how to read in English. I said, where are you from? He said, the Board of Education. I said, well, how did you find out who I was? He said, your name traveled through the city. They said, you're the pastor that can help kids read. I had never helped anyone read. But I heard a rumor that, you, that people had used the Bible to teach people how to read English. So I took seven kids. I took the New Living Translation. I opened up to John chapter 1, and I had them read John chapter 1. For about 14 weeks or so, we went through John chapter 1. That was it, John chapter 1, so they could learn to read the language. And somewhere along the line, a kid says to me, how do I get saved? I said, it's easy. We just, you just say a prayer in your heart and so he says the prayer, and the other kid says, I want to do that. I want to do that. And I said, well, maybe this is not a trend. This is not a cool thing. We're, we're talking about laying light, your life down for Jesus Christ. Says, no, no, I get it. I'm reading John chapter 1 that the word became flesh. I, I, I want that word, and, and darkness could not comprehend it. I'm digging this Jesus. So I said, okay, we said a prayer. And then I went to the school saying, you got to get baptized. And but we don't have a baptismal tank. So what do we do? And they said, well, why don't we use the school's pool? And I'm like, I don't even know if we have rights to that. So I go to the board of that and ask him, can I use the pool? He says, no. Then the principal comes around, what do you want to do? I want to do a baptism in your pool. Oh, yeah, don't worry about the Board of Ed. Just come to me. I'll give you permission. So we use the pool, and I take the kids from my community, saying, we're doing a baptism. Then I invite all the grandmothers. We're going to baptize your kids today on this Saturday. All the grandmothers come. And when the grandmothers come, that means the entire community has to come. (laughs) So when the entire community comes, I start baptizing their kids, and there's one OG guy comes to me. Swagger Bone comes to me, and he gets in the pool, and I said, I'm about to baptize your son. And as I'm about to baptize his son where he says, you want me to help you? I said, I want you to be part of the process so that your son will remember that his dad was at his side at this one pinnacle moment of his life. And so he dips with me and as his son comes out of the water, Bobby, and he begins to cry and tears begin to hit his eye. And I said... Tim, man, this is your day. The day of salvation is here. Just give your life to Jesus. He says, yes. And I baptize him immediately right away. And he looks at his girlfriend who's not his girlfriend for I don't know how long, 10 years or so. And he says to her, come on, babe, let's get baptized again. Let's do this right as a family. So I baptize her. And when she comes out of the water, she starts talking to me. We need you to get married. I'm tired of living in sin. <laughs> so I perform their wedding ceremony. And the entire thing was blood-themed, red and white everywhere. And I'm thinking to myself, we're going to get shot in this place for sure. Here's the beauty of it all, that God is coming to look for the sick. And every one of you at one point in your life were sick, and God sought you out and made you righteous. You became righteous by the hand of God who came down and revealed himself to you. I got to get someone to play the keys for me. Just stand to your feet. I felt my job more than anything else is to be an encourager to the body of Christ. I'm not boasting in these stories, I'm just trying to really tell you that. I'm just a. A dumb individual who said yes to Jesus one day. I don't have the, the smarts. I don't have the, the, the talent, the gifts. I have none of those things. I don't play music. I don't write songs. I don't draw. I don't paint. I don't dance. I don't do anything. I have no, there's no creativity in me other than I have a hustle in me. More than anything else, but if God can use someone like me, this is, this is my main theme. If God can use somebody like me, then he definitely can use somebody like you. If God can use someone from the bottom of the pile, of the garbage pile, and just pull us out of the pile and just shine us up and just put us on display for his glory, then God can use you also. There's gifts and talents in every single one in this room. Everybody has something to offer somebody. And I know the American dream is like we have to obtain this one thing. Believe me, I'm a son of an immigrant. I get it. Our parents came or we came here to, to buy the big, beautiful house, white picket fence and drive an SUV and a caravan and have 2.5 kids and gold retriever. I get it. How do I honor one thing? How do I honor the journey of my family, and how do I honor Jesus Christ at the same time? You honor it by doing what you've been called to do. You pursue what God put in you in put in, in your heart to do. You honor by taking care of those. Like the Bible says it, right? It's the only commandment that comes with a promise that if you honor your parents, a long life will be given to you. But you also do it by saying with, with the excess, the, the stewardship, God put me in a place to steward well so that I can help other people come into this kingdom. There's some of you that actually do counseling and therapy. What if you gave a couple of hours of free to the church to do marriage counseling or, or a couple hours free on a Saturday and just opened up your door and say, I'm going to do a, a free seminar on counseling. Some of you guys may be in the banking industry and say, I'm going to open up a free seminar and train you how to budget your money because people don't know how to budget their money. I'm going to teach people how to budget their money and I'm going to use godly principles to do that. Some of you that are in real estate, that maybe you need to take someone that's, that's got salesmanship on them. They, they're struggling through college. They, maybe college isn't for them, but they can get into a field of selling homes in real estate. So I'm going to begin to bring them alongside of me and give them a career. Maybe some of you got a gift for photography and maybe you can use that gift to train other people and start taking around and mentoring someone and spending time with kids. What if you started a kids group of just photographers and began to let them express their lifestyle so that the church can comprehend where they're coming from? What if you tapped in for some of you poets and you started tapping into the words of God and started going into coffee houses throughout the region and started dropping spoken words about Jesus Christ? What if you started writing songs and went to coffee houses and started writing your own original songs and letting the atmosphere be turned over because the presence of God is coming on your life? What if you're an architect and you wanted to help somebody out and you said this is what the career path. What if you're a construction worker and you gave someone a chance, an opportunity and just started mentoring them and discipling them really is what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's going to cost you some things but it costs God to send down His Son to be nailed to a cross so that we can have relationship with Him. Everything costs in the kingdom of God. It's either going to cost your money, it's either going to cost your time, it's either going to cost your talent. So throw it all in. Here's my altar call today. If you're saying, listen, I want more of God. I want to open up myself to a crazy lifestyle. I want to mentor some gangbangers. I want to hang out with some prostitutes. I wanna hang out with some city officials speaking about the blood of Jesus Christ. I wanna take a, a young child and begin whose, whose dad is no longer alive, and I wanna embrace them, incorporate them into my family, speak life into them. If that's you this morning, I wanna ask you to come forward right now. People ask me, where did I learn to open up my house so much? I said, my dad taught me that. When my dad came here from Colombia, he bought his first home. It was a single-family house that had a store attached to it. He turned the store into an apartment, and it was just one big, long apartment. And every Colombian that came from Bogota, Colombia, he would just tell them, come live in my house. You don't even have to pay rent. Come live in my house until you find a job. My dad would help people find jobs and give them opportunities to go workplaces. I was 50 years old and I was lost in the streets. And I watched my dad give out the little that he had. He gave back, always gave back, always gave back. Opened the door for many, many of Colombian people that came to America, gave them opportunity, gave them housing, gave them meals. Let him sit down at our house during Thanksgiving. Let him sit down at our table during Christmas time. 30 years later, my dad can go almost anywhere in Colombia and people worship him. We have no idea. Of the little bit that we have that we can give away that the Lord has given you there is nothing that you have that you've done on your own and if you've done it on your own then it isn't the Lord's blessing on it but when God touches whatever it is that you have and it gets anointed and it begins transferable and it impacts communities and it impacts families and it impacts nations things begin to turn you know what the blessings are? They're four generations. That uh, Your grandchildren, someone will honor them someday knowing that your grandfather, I remember your grandfather who opened up the door for me. I'm telling you right now, there are more of you that God is tugging on your heart to saying, I want to open up my home. I want to sit down. I want to pour into someone. This is my last window of opportunity I'm going to give you to come forward right now. Start worshiping the Lord together.